Well, welcome. It's Christmas Eve. And I was telling someone before uh, church started tonight, you know, I remember being, if, if you don't know, uh, one, I'm James. I'm the lead pastor here at Beaches Chapel. And I grew up here at this church. This is the only church I've ever been to in my entire life. I was born into it. And here I am today. And I remember being uh, just a little kid at this service, at the Christmas Eve service, and just thinking to myself, dear God, when is this going to end? You know? <laughs> This, this was the last hurdle to get over until it was bedtime and it was Christmas morning uh, the next morning. And I just want to say um, that, you know, you would think that I would have empathy for these kids tonight, but you listen, kids are soft, all right? So I'm going to go for like two hours, all right? Just despite the kid. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're going to take about 20 minutes tonight. Uh, we want to be respectful of your time. I know there's a lot of stuff going on after this service, but we also want to give Jesus his time, amen? Because this is what this is really all about. And so uh, what we've been talking about, if you're visiting with us tonight um, or missed just the past few weeks, we've been talking about this series, what in the world happened? Like really, what in the world happened the night that Jesus was born? And what happened on that night was that God was born as a human and dwelt among us. Like that thought, even when you just say it that quickly, is crazy. Like, it's crazy to think about that, and we, we've, been, we've been pausing every single week and just looking, looking at the birth of Jesus through different perspectives. We've looked at three different perspectives. We looked at Mary and then Joseph a little bit. Then we looked at uh, the shepherds out in the fields, and then this past Sunday, we looked uh, through the eyes of the wise men. And, and in doing that and seeing these different perspectives, my hope and our, and our goal was to reignite the awe and the wonder that is the birth of God on earth. But you know, tonight as we discuss the same question, what in the world happened, we're not going to be looking through the eyes of Mary and Joseph or through the shepherds or the wise men. And it was for, you know, for that fact, anyone else in the Bible tonight, we're going to be looking at that through our own perspective, because that's really what it boils down to. And um, I believe it's in, let me think, Matthew, Matthew 16, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter, one of the disciples. And he asks him this question. He says, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter gives them this, this answer. He says, uh, some say Moses, some say Elijah, some say John. And then, and then Jesus kind of stops him and he says, okay, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And that is the question that I want all of us in here to ask ourselves tonight and to also give a very honest answer to because we can study Mary, we can study the shepherds, we can study the wise men until the cows come home. But at the end of the day, if we don't answer that question for ourselves, all we do is know the answer to some Bible trivia questions. We have done nothing in our own heart to make a decision on who Jesus is to us. And so tonight, as we discuss what in the world happened, I want to follow that question up with, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you, not just tonight, but going forward? And as we consider this, I just want to think about, again, God as creator, right? A lot of people, you know, if we look at the creation of the world, if we look at the stars in the sky, the ocean, the mountains, all the stuff that is just gorgeous, we, we refer to God a lot of times as an artist, right? And his creation, this world is his canvas that he's created things. And he is an incredible artist. And I have a confession to make. I am no artist, Okay, even when, when I was little, uh, I was the kid who, I, I didn't like specifically messy art, right? Like if it was time to do finger painting, I was like, no, pass. I don't want to put my hands in paint and then do handprints. It just doesn't interest me. It's gross. It's yucky. Same with uh, uh, paper mache, right? Which is just a glorified term for gooey newspaper uh, that we've put a bow on. It's gross. I don't like that stuff. 
but even more so when I was in, when I was in 10th grade at Fletcher, um, I took a ceramics class or pottery, whatever it was called. I don't remember. Um, and there was something that the teacher made us do in this class. She would have us, um, I think she called it recycle the clay. All right. Is anyone familiar with this recycling clay? Okay. So what we did in this class is, you know, big ups to Fletcher and their big budget or that they had. They would have the students, uh, they bring in this old clay that was dried and hard and you couldn't shape it. You couldn't form it. It was, it was basically useless. And they brought them in in these big rubber trash cans. They put this clay at the bottom and they pour water on top of the clay. And our job as the class was to reach our arms down in this trash can and just work the clay until the water finally started to soften it up. And I don't know if they cleaned these trash cans out. I don't know if the clay mixed with the water just gave it a certain smell, but it was gag-worthy gross, okay? And I'm sitting there like, I'm not in kindergarten anymore. I still don't like this gross art. This is nasty. I just wanted an easy A, all right? And it never happened. But the point, and look, I'm not big now, but imagine me in 10th grade, all right? My legs were kind of dangling out of the trash can as I reached down in like this. I don't like this, right? And... But the whole point was for us, the artists, to restore this clay that was not usable anymore. And when we think about Jesus being born as a human, it's a lot like that. But in a lot of ways, it's so much different because God didn't just see this, this clay, right, that he had purposed to be a beautiful vase or something like that that was now broken and unusable. He didn't just see us and say, I'm going to stick my arm down in this smelly can and, and knead it and work it to restore it. He said, I'm going to become the clay so as to restore it so it can be a beautiful vase like it was purposed to be. And that is what Jesus being born as a human was. God didn't just reach down into his work of art. He became it. He became it to save us and restore us. So we're, not, we're no longer this, this smelly, yucky, hardened clay in the bottom of a trash can. But instead, because of him, we are now a beautiful vase. That is God, our God, what he did for us. That is what happened. But I want to just look again briefly, very briefly. I want to read through the three pers perspectives that I mentioned earlier, starting with Mary. We're going to look in Luke chapter 1. Again, I'm just going to read through this real quickly. Starting in verse 35, it says, The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she, was but she has conceived a son, and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Verse 39 is where it gets good. And a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the perspective of Mary very briefly. Let's move on really quickly. Now to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 15, it says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And then lastly, the wise men, starting in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child was with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Why do I bring these three perspectives back up? It's because each one of them shows something incredibly important that we all need to understand about the birth and the existence of Jesus. And that is this, it requires a response. With Mary, she was visited by Gabriel, the angel, and afterwards when he leaves, the first thing that she does, the Bible says that she hurries off to see her cousin. And the same thing with the shepherds. They're visited by this host of angels in the fields. And as soon as the angels leave, what does it say that they did? They hurried off into Bethlehem to tell people. And then the wise men in the same way, they see this star and they leave everything, where they're from, where they're doing, and they pack their bags and they go all the way to the house of Jesus. And they enter into the house and they worship him because they were confronted with the existence and the knowledge of Jesus and they had to go. They had to go because it required this response of, I gotta go see this guy for myself. It didn't even matter that it was a baby. They had to see him because they knew that it was God. And for the first time ever, God was now tangible. And you could see him and you could hear him and you could touch him because God was now in his own work of art and they had to go see him. I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times for me, I get more excited telling people to see a TV show than to see Jesus. I get more pumped up and say, you gotta watch this, you gotta see this, you gotta go there, you gotta try this restaurant, blah, 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 all the things like that. And we never say, you gotta see Jesus. You gotta see Jesus. He will change your life. And that is what it's all about. In this Christmas season, listen, I know we get busy we get distracted, our calendars fill up, and, and before we know it, here we are, it's Christmas Eve, and we're looking around going, where did this month just go? And we've lost the awe, we've lost the wonder, and I'm here to tell you, you can get it back, because the reality is this, the awe and the wonder of Jesus' birth is not dependent on whether we see it or not. It is there. It is there. And once we do return our attention and our focus to him, we rediscover it just like that because he's good and he's faithful and he doesn't hold it over our heads. He wants us, he wants us to see this awe and this wonder of his son. And here's the reality of what happened that night, y'all. What happened that night is God began a path of life for all of us, but he began a path of death for Jesus. The entire purpose, the entire point of Jesus being born in this major manger, being visited by these wise men, see, telling the shepherds, having made all of that, all of it, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole story of Jesus' birth was not for him to come down here and show off, see how amazing I am and check me out. The purpose of his life was death. Whereas where we avoid death at all costs, we make life decisions based on our existence here. Listen, God's decision on life was death. You understand that? He chose it. And so as we talk about this, this crib of Jesus, what we're ultimately talking about is the cross because that was the direction. So it began a path of life for us, both here on earth and in heaven. And it began a path of death for Jesus in that very moment. That's what really happened on that night. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, God decided in advance 
to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, here it is, with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. This, y'all, was God's gift. This was his gift to us. He said, here is my son. Here is life for you. And I'm not just saying it. I am it. It could have been so much easier for God to just say, I'm going to take this thing off the shelf. I'm going to put it down there. But that wasn't enough. He said, here is me. Here is God for you with the blood of his son. He is able to be kind to us. He is able to show us grace because he first gave us Jesus. What we've also been talking about in these last few weeks is, is the birth of Jesus and ultimately the life of Jesus. Is, is there's this perfect balance of humility and power, right? There's the humility of Jesus being born in a manger. The humility of Jesus being born to a Nazarene teenage girl. The humility of God telling shepherds who are the lowest of the low on the social class, like they were outcasts. No one hung out with shepherds. No one talked to shepherds. God tells them before anyone else. The humility of that, right? But then there's the power of Jesus. The power of a host of angels announcing it to the shepherds. The power of Gabriel telling Mary that the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow her. Right? And the power of, of this star guiding these wise men all the way to Jesus' very front door. The power. But the power ultimately was shown here. And I want to read it out of Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Here is the power. And it's talking about us. It says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. I'm going to say that again. He forgave all of our sins. If you're sitting in here and there's that, you know, you hear that and you might think, okay, cool, but not that one. There's that one sin that you've been holding on to, that one sin that you can't let go of, that one sin that might even have you feeling a little bit uncomfortable as you sit in here tonight. You need to hear the words of not me, but of God that says, I have forgiven all of your sins. Every single one of them. And it says this, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's the humility in this, y'all. Though he was God, he humbled himself by being nailed to a cross. But then comes the power. Verse 15, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Okay, I'm going to do something that I, that I absolutely hate when people do to me, all right? I'm going to talk about a movie, and I'm going to give away the ending, okay? I'm going to talk about Avengers Endgame real quick, but if you haven't seen this movie yet, this is kind of on you, all right? Because it's a great movie, and it's been out for like two and a half years, all right? So don't get mad at me because you've been lazy not seeing this movie yet. But when I think about this verse, when I think about how it says that Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities and he shamed them publicly, I think about 
that end scene, right? Where, again, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all, okay? I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, Thanos thinks he, he's got the glove on and he thinks that he's about to end it all, right? And he snaps his, you know, at first he says this, he says, I am, anyone? Inevitable, right? I know there's some nerds in here, like I'm not gonna say it, I wanna tell myself. I am inevitable and he, and he snaps his fingers and nothing happens, like nothing. And then, and then Tony Stark's over there chilling. He's got this, all of a sudden this power because he's got the glove on. And he says, I am Iron Man. And he snaps his finger. And then what happens? The enemy is disarmed. And all, they all start to just vanish, right? And that's exactly, well, no, it's not exactly. But that's a lot like what happened with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man was not there. In my, maybe in my like head he was, Jesus would be so cool if Iron Man was there and Thor was Thor there. <clears throat> Can they be there in heaven, please, at least? Uh, it doesn't have to be real. I just have to imagine that they're there. <laughs> okay, it was kind of like that, all right? Not literally like that. Um, but here's the thing that I, that I love about that scene. When Thanos says that, that I am inevitable, you can see the arrogance on his face. Go back and watch it. It may or might, may not be on YouTube. Um, it is. Um, <laughs> And, and you can just see on his face, like he thinks he's got it. And that's exactly how Satan felt in that moment when Jesus was on the cross. He said, I got it. Death over these people is inevitable. And I won. And then Jesus looks the enemy right in the face. And if only it could have been as easy as snapping his fingers, but it wasn't. It was being, having nails driven into his arms and into his legs and having a whip rip off his flesh, being spit on and mocked and, and a crown of thorns dug into his scalp, blood running down his face, barely able to breathe. So no, no snapping of the fingers. But in that moment, when he said, it is finished, he was telling the enemy, you might be, think that you're inevitable, but I'm Jesus. I am the son of God and you don't win. I win. And in my death, what you thought was a victory was my greatest uh, victory and your greatest defeat. You are now disarmed. And there is no more power that the enemy has over any of us because Jesus, in his humility, matched with his power, stayed on the cross, died on the cross, and was risen again for us. That is the ultimate gift. And that is what happened on the night that Jesus was born. What in the world happened? I'll tell you what happened. Everything changed. Everything changed, y'all. It's never been the same. That's why when you go back, if you, if you, if you miss this past Sunday sermon, we talk about how King Herod in that moment was literally trying to kill Jesus from the very beginning. From the beginning of Jesus' life, the enemy was trying to end it. Because the enemy knew who Jesus was. Sometimes we're not as aware. We need to be. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? I want to go back and, 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 and look at the, the announcement of Jesus that is told to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Starting in verse 20, it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And here, listen to this part, y'all. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It was already determined. God had said, this is what is going to happen. Jesus is his name, and he is the Savior. He will save his people from their sins. The devil never had a choice in the matter. Not one time. As Joseph is just learning about Jesus, the angel is telling him exactly who Jesus is. He's the Savior. But here's the thing, y'all. We have to respond. We have to respond. It's not, just an, it's not enough to just hear about him. It's not enough to just watch the Charlie Brown Christmas and be familiar with it or whatever. We have to respond like Mary did and how the shepherds did and how the wise men did and say, I'm going to go. But here's the thing, y'all. When we respond, it's not about doing anything. Now, I want you to hear me on that. Our response is not about doing. It's about believing. Jesus did it, okay? There is no manger for us to go, go hike to, right? There's no star to follow. He did it. Our response is in how we believe in him. Do we believe that the words in the Bible are true or don't we? All right. And I'm going to, I'm going to make it very clear to us tonight. You either believe or you don't. That's it. And praise God for that, that it is very black and white, because if there was a gray area, we would all live in it. All of us say, well, I'll be this or this or that. No, no. You believe or you don't. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing my job. I wouldn't be loving anyone in this room if I tried to say otherwise. If there was another way out, there is not. But what we need to know is that Jesus came and he's ready to forgive all of our sins, every single one of them, and make us brand new. But we have to respond and believe that what he says is true. Do you believe? Our mission statement here at Beaches Chapel is that we are a home. We're a home for all people to begin and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what we strive to be here. To be, we hear the word family a lot here. We want people when they come in to these doors, to don't, they don't feel unwelcome. You don't feel like you don't belong. But that when you come into this place, you feel just like you do when you go into your own home. That you're a part of a family of people that knows that it's not about what we do. None of us claim here that we have earned or deserve the love of Jesus. All we've done is we've responded in belief. Say, amen, thank you, Jesus. That is our mission statement for all. And it's based out of this verse. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 19, it says, You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. Listen, listen, y'all. I'm, I'm, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid, all right? I understand there's some of us that come here tonight on Christmas Eve out of family obligation, out of 
religious obligation or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's just you come because it's going to be awkward to go to mom's house for dinner afterwards and you didn't come to church first, you know, whatever it might be. But here's the thing. I don't care. I genuinely do not care how or why anyone in here got to be in this room tonight. What I do care about is how you leave this room tonight, that you would leave knowing Jesus more, loving Jesus more, and and perhaps for the very first time in your life, believing Jesus for yourself. Because what this verse is saying, it's, it's irrespective of how we got. It's not, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, who you were 10 minutes before church started. It doesn't matter who you were this past week or this past year or for your entire life before this very moment. When you are confronted with the opportunity to believe in Jesus, none of that stuff matters. It's all about what do you believe now and believing that Jesus can forgive your sins and change your life in that moment, and that he died on the cross for you just as much as he did me or anyone else. Do you believe? How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? None of the band come back up. And I just want to close with this verse right here out of Romans chapter 10. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it, y'all. There's not this huge equation that we have to solve. There's not this this obstacle course that we have to run through. There's not this idea that let me go fix myself. Let me go, uh, you know, fix my life and try and get rid of this addiction first or stop flirting with that person at work first who's not my spouse or be a better parent and all this. Let me just get all those things together and in order and then, and then I'll believe. Listen, if that were the case, we would spend our whole lives trying to get to that point. And we would never take that step. And what God so clearly and plainly says here, it's believing. It's believing. Do you believe that Jesus, on that night of his birth, came here for you? That the humility that he walked in in his life matched with the power that he put on display? not just on the night of his birth, but especially on the cross where he died, but then three days later was risen again, was for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that it was enough? I'm here to tell you it's enough. That when the Bible says that he came to forgive all sins, he's talking about all sins. Some of every single one of them. And he doesn't, he doesn't require us to get our own act together. He said, you better make up for that huge mistake you made that you're hiding in the shadows of your heart that you really hope no one finds out about. Or can you say, Lord, here it is. I believe and I'm giving it to you. And I'm gonna believe the words that you have written in the word of God that say that you forgive all sins. That's what happened on that night. 
God gave us a path to life by choosing a path of death for himself. How are you going to respond? How have you responded? I want to take a moment tonight to pray. I want to take a moment to have communion as well. If you didn't get um, a cup of communion, we'll have some of our deacons pass those out to you. You just need to raise your hand. They'll come bring one to you. Um, But I want to put it before you in this moment. What do you believe? What do you believe? So we're going to pray tonight. And for those of us that have received Jesus as our Savior, let this be the best gift that you could ever give Jesus on his birthday. And that's to reaffirm who he is in your life. To tell him that you love him. That's all God wants from us, y'all. That's what he wants from us. And so we're going to give him that tonight for those that already believe. And for those that came here tonight, for whatever reason, I don't care what they are. And you've never received Jesus as your savior. You've been waiting. You've been doubtful, whatever it might be. Now's your chance to respond. And listen, we don't know what tomorrow holds. This world is crazy. We don't know. So don't wait. Respond tonight. Let's bow our heads. Please just repeat this prayer after me if you would. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your life. I thank you that you came down to this earth. That you lived, that you died, and that you rose again for me. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I ask you to come into my heart to be Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus. I believe. Father, right now, I just thank you that you did choose death in your life. There was no other option. There was no other choice in the matter. That's what you wanted to do. And the the Bible says that it gave you great pleasure to save your people. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we remember your sacrifice right now. We remember the brutal death that you endured by being nailed to a cross, your body beaten and bruised. God, the truth of the matter is we don't know. We can try and explain it and describe it with the most eloquent of words, but we have no idea what it was like for you on that night of your death to be nailed to a cross, struggling for breath. God, right now, we just, with this bread, we remember it and we say thank you. Let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for your blood that was shed on that night. Blood poured out. The blood of God. What must that have been like? The blood of God. Running down your body, dripping onto the ground, puddling for us. God, we thank you that your blood, your sacrifice is enough. Lord, for those that have been trying in their own strength to make up for whatever 
mistakes were made in the past, God, that right now they would understand more than ever, all of us in here, we would understand more than ever that your blood and your sacrifice are enough and we can stop beating our heads against the wall, trying to do better, trying to be better. And we can just surrender and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. And in those moments, Lord, you don't beat us, you don't condemn us, you comfort us and you say, my blood is enough. Thank you for your blood that washes away our sins and cleanses us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup.